So turn with me in your Bibles then to Ezra and chapter 6. Ezra chapter 6, the passage that we read a moment ago. Now, I wonder, I don't know what the, uh, I don't know what the restrictions are at the moment in England, but uh, let's say you can go down to London. Uh, I don't know what you think of London, uh, whether you like going down there, but uh, if you were to go down there, and if a particular museum there was open, you could go in and you could find a particular room in that museum that holds something that's about this size, uh, and it's called the Cyrus Cylinder. Some of you may have heard of that already. The Cyrus Cylinder. It's made of clay, looks a bit unusual, and it's covered in an ancient language. And if you translate this language, you realise what this cylinder says. It's a document. And as you spin it and you read it as it goes around, what it says is this, that Cyrus, the king of the Persian Empire, is sending home all of the exiles in his empire. And on that little cylinder that you can find in the museum in London is the story that we are reading about this morning. In the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, it's from the same period of time, telling the same story. And what we uh, looked at last week, if you remember, and if, if you haven't seen the message from last week, you can get it online, it'd uh, be helpful for understanding. But uh, what happened there is we looked at the priority of sacrifice, that the exiles that Cyrus sent home, the, the fathers, our fathers, the faithful people of God, they came from Persia all the way home, and although they temple was in rubble they were satisfied with that so long as they could have sacrifice central to their worship they prioritized the sacrifices and we're going into that a little bit more this morning god willing in our gospel service since those events of last week when the people have finally come home the temple has been finished and so now the people of god the jews they can do more than they did before and as they do more we get to see more of their priorities. Now, if uh, any of the kids are watching uh, this morning, rather than going uh, into the Sunday school lesson, I want you to draw me some pictures of what we're going to be reading about and uh, hearing about this morning. I want you to draw a big table with loads of people sitting around it, all enjoying a meal together. And I want you to draw in the middle of that table the cross of the Lord Jesus. All right, and hopefully by the end of the message, we'll see what that is all about. So some priorities then for the people of God. The first one we're going to see uh, is the priority of goats. And then the second one, we'll see the priority of dinner. And finally, we'll see the priority of preparation. So first of all, then in verses 16 and 17 of Ezra 6, the priority of goats. Like you said last week, first things are first. So what was the first thing that you did? as the lockdown was being lifted. Perhaps you went to your favorite fast food restaurant, uh, or you, like me, you went and had a haircut, or is it to see your grandchildren for the first time in weeks and weeks and weeks? Well, on this day, the temple's finished, verses 14 and 15, and the first thing that they do, first things first, they worship around sacrifice. And so we read about all these sacrifices that they make, hundreds and hundreds of all these animals being killed, uh, lambs and bulls and goats and all of that. They're making all of these sacrifices. But in verse 17, one particular sacrifice stands out. Did you notice that? There's all these different sacrifices going on, but this one is named in verse 17 as a sin offering for all Israel. They make a sin offering of these goats. 
What's that then? What's a sin offering? What's that all about? Why does that one get named? Well, a sin offering is all about what you already know about God and about yourself. Do you know that there is a God? It's built in to all humans. You know, I know, we know there is a God, that he is here. What's he like? It's built into all of us. We know that he is bigger and better than everything. We all know that he is alive, that he is sure, that he is holy, that he is perfect, that he is just. But what are you like? It's built into all of us as well that we know that we are not like him. He is holy. We are unholy. He is perfect. Are you perfect? No, we're all imperfect. He is pure. We are impure. We know that we are sinners, fallen far short of God, fallen far short of the Lord Jesus and their standard of holiness. Unlike him, we have sin which corrupts us. I wonder, do you do algebra in school? I remember the start of algebra lessons. It goes like this, doesn't it? The very first one you ever learn, A plus B equals C. Do you remember that? A, God is just. B, we are sinners. Equals C, he must judge. We know that's the case, don't we? And the Jews knew it too, even on this day. They knew that God is holy and they are sinners and so he must judge. And so they say, if only there was a way to cover my sin so God didn't see. If only someone else was judged instead of me. And that is what the sin offerings were all about. I wonder, is your imagination as good as our children's? Probably not. But can you imagine this? Imagine a Jew on this day. He takes a goat and he goes to the temple and he confesses all of his sins that he knows he has onto the goat. Confesses them all onto it. The goat now is bearing his sin and bearing his guilt and the goat is killed instead of him. What's happening is that the animal dies instead of him and the animal's blood covers his sin. That's what the sin offerings were. Now, if you didn't do algebra in school, perhaps you did football. I was plagued with having to do both, although I did have a glittering football career when I was younger um, until an injury in year three. Um, Football to the face ended my career. I thought I'd never play football again. But in secondary school, we were forced against our will to enjoy a game of football. And being rubbish at football as I was, I would start every game as the substitute. I'd sit on the bench with an orange bib on. 
to show that I was the substitute. And if one of the other players, one of my friends or one of the other boys in school needed to come off the pitch, what would happen is that they would come to me, I would take off my orange bib, and I'd put it on them. I'd cover them with my bib. And then I would go and stand in their place. I wouldn't do much more than that, but that's what I would do. I'd stand in their place. I was the substitute. And that's what's happening here on this day. You see in verse 17, 12 goats for 12 tribes of Israel. These goats are dying in their place and the the blood is covering their sin. And that was so central to the Jewish psyche. It was so important that it was more important to them than their temple and their walls and their homes as we saw last week. It was so important. Their law says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So that's the priority of goats. And hopefully, in the next point that we have, the priority of dinner, things will become a bit clearer in verses 19 to 21. Because not long after this day, the Jews keep a festival called Passover. I wonder if you've ever heard of that. The Jews today still keep it. They call it Pesach. And this is so important. It's really, really important. It's one of the most important days in their entire calendar. And some of them, being in exile for 70 years, have never done it before. Imagine having only ever heard about Christmas. And then finally you get to do it at the grand old age of 70-something. That's, that's what this day was like. The excitement must have been so tangible and real. And as they're observing Passover, all sorts of wonderful things are happening right before their eyes to remind them and point them to the coming of the Lord Jesus, their Messiah, their Christ. Now, we're going to focus on just one of those things, but if you want to know any of the others, you can get in touch with us as a church, you can get in touch with me and we can talk about them. But for now, let's focus on just one thing in this Passover. One thing, verse 20, a sin offering is being made for all of Israel once again. And so again, there's going to be bloodshed. Again, there is going to be a substitution. Again, an animal is going to die in their place and its blood will cover sin. Why? Why all this bloodshed again? Why do they do it repeatedly? Why do they do it every year? Why did they have to do it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times? Didn't it work the first time? Didn't the animal die in their place? Didn't its blood cover their sin? This is where I need to explain to you that the blood of animal sacrifice never really did anything for their sin. Tell me, are goats a fair substitute for people? What if one day you go to work and you find that all of your uh, workmates, all of your colleagues have been uh, removed from the building and replaced with goats? Not much work is going to get done. That's not a fair substitute. When I entered the football field, nobody, I, I can tell you, was happy to see me because I was not a fair substitute for Jake Mercy, the best striker in the school. And the Jews knew it too, that the lives of animals are no fit exchange for the lives of people. So what's going on? 
Is this all a farce? Is it a play? Is it just some religious ritual that they do? Or does it mean something? If you're making notes, this is something to put down and underline. If you've drifted away, this is something to come back and really listen to. All of these sacrifices were signposts pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of the sacrifices were pointing to Jesus. They weren't there, the sacrifices were not there to pretend to cover sin. Always failing until eventually they were replaced with Jesus who finally worked. No, they were always intended and understood to be a sign pointing to and fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. I can't put it better than the Bible does. Listen to these words from Hebrews 10. It is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's clear, isn't it? That is why when Jesus came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. Do you hear that? Jesus says to God, you were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God. Do you hear that? Do you see how clear that is? All of these sacrifices were pointing to him. And he comes and he says, all of those were pointing at me. I am the one that covers sin. I wonder, do you remember the algebra? Kids are always better at algebra than we are, I think. A plus B equals C. A, God is just. B, we are sinners. C, God must judge. D, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not be judged, but have everlasting life. That's some divine algebra. Jesus is the fit substitute for humans. Jesus' blood does cover sin. Not lambs and goats, but Jesus dies instead of sinners. He's the substitute. He dies guilty. We confess our sins unto him, and he is killed in our place. His blood covers sin. And so the sacrifices were done repeatedly, hundreds and hundreds of times, because they didn't actually take away sin, but they were always pointing to Jesus who would. Now, some of you are very sensibly thinking, where is this dinner that he has promised me? Well, here's the dinner in verse 21. Having killed the Passover lamb in anticipation of Jesus Christ, they eat the sacrifice. So what's that all about? What's this dinner all about? Well, the Jews that are eating this sacrifice are personally benefiting from that sacrifice. It's feeding them. It couldn't be a more real picture 
of their real benefit, could it? I wonder, have you gone yet to your favourite fast food restaurant now that they're starting to open up again? Let's say you go down to McDonald's or whatever is your favourite and you go down, you pick up one of those beef burgers and uh, you think about that poor cow that has given its life. You could say to that cow, Mr Cow, it's you or me. Either I'm going to starve so that you may live or you are going to die so that I may eat. That's what's happening here. The Jews killed the lamb, anticipating Jesus Christ who dies in their place. The blood covers sin, anticipating Jesus' blood, which covers sin. And they eat it, anticipating benefiting from the death of Jesus Christ. We say, it's you or me to that cow. Jesus says to us, it's you or me, and it's going to be me. I want you to imagine Joseph the Jew coming to the Passover sacrifice. And as he's coming, he's hungry. His belly is rumbling. And so he takes his lamb and he sacrifices the lamb and he roasts the lamb and he puts the lamb on his dinner plate, but he doesn't eat it. The kids know now that he's going to go hungry. If he is to benefit from this sacrifice, he must eat it. He must take it himself and put it in his mouth and chew it and swallow it. It must be in him. It must be him. It must be his. The Lord Jesus said this in John 6, the verses that we read to the children a moment ago. Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which comes down from heaven. Not as the fathers ate, in the, ate the manna and are dead, he who eats this bread himself will live forever. There are many people, especially in church, many people who know about Jesus' sacrifice, but haven't taken him. They know that God has given Christ as a sacrifice for sinners. They know he has been laid on a table. They know they are commanded to eat and live, and yet they haven't. They learn all about him. They learn all about him, but they never eat it. It's like reading the ingredients off the cereal box and never eating it like we taught the children. How many books about the Lord Jesus line your bookshelves? Have you ever met him? How many Bible studies have you attended? Have you ever met him who you study? How many prayers have you said? Have you ever prayed to him? Poured out your heart before him to know him? Such a challenge, isn't it? All right then, who gets to eat this dinner? Who's at the table? 
The first people that we see there, that we expect to see there, are the returning Jews, don't we? We expect to see them there. They've come from Persia, a five-month journey all the way just to make these sacrifices, renew the temple worship, observe the Passover. Of course, these returning Jews are at the table, but they're not alone. When the Jews were exiled in the first place, most of them went off to Persia, scattered into the far-flung corners of that empire. But some of them were left behind. What happened to them? No sacrifice, no temple, no prayers, no words being read of God publicly. They lost their way. They began to forget that they were Jews. They even began to worship false gods. And so the language used as Christians, the lingo, the jargon, is that they were backslidden. They slid back away from the living God. In verse 21, we read that these backsliders also ate the Passover. Now remember that this Passover is a picture of Jesus sacrificed for sinners. And so we can say even now, backsliders are always welcome to return to Jesus' sacrifice and take him for themselves. Now I don't know everybody who's watching, but I can ask you, are you backslidden? You can come back, you must come back, to the Saviour. And it doesn't matter how long you've been away. Even if you have been gone from him for 70 years, even if you have forgotten that you were a Jesus follower, even if you have not read your Bible or said your prayers for years and years, no matter how long and how far you have run from Jesus, he is available for you to take him again. There's no price. There's no re-entry fee. Just come. Just take him. Benefit from his sacrifice already made for you. Now don't doubt it. I know this is the temptation. But don't doubt it. That he is eager and itching to receive you back into open arms. Me, I've been gone for so long. The things I've done in this time. The things I've neglected. How far away I am from where I should be. Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. When these backsliders return to the Lord Jesus, and they sit down at his table, ready to take of his sacrifice with their brothers, the other Jews, there are still some empty spaces at that table. Who else was there? Verse 21 refers not just to the Jews who had come from Persia, not just to the Jews who have come from Israel and returned to the living God, it refers to converts. Persians who had come with them to Israel to find the living God. You can read about them in Ezra 2. People who were travellers just in the area were picked up by that convoy of Jews returning to the living God. 
nearby Assyrians or other uh, neighbouring countries, from them, foreigners and pagans came to eat the sacrifice with the Jews. That's remarkable. They left everything that they knew behind to follow this one saviour and this one sacrifice, sick and tired of trying to please their gods, trying to find meaning in life, trying to find sense in themselves of who they are. They gave all that up and they came to the sacrifice. They came to that thing that points so vividly to the Saviour. They separated themselves, the Bible says, separated themselves from their old lives and came to the sacrifice made for them and joined Jesus' people. If you're not a Jew, if you're not backslidden, maybe you're one of these. There is still space at this table for you, for you. You must leave the old life behind and come to Jesus Christ. He is the sacrifice which God has made to cover the sins of sinners. You must leave behind now the endless struggle of finding purpose. The endless pursuit of finding justice in an unjust world. The endless quest of finding self-worth in a cruel world. Leave it behind and come to Jesus, who is the purpose of all things. Who is justice. Who will take you in his loving hands and make you perfect. I don't think I need to try very hard to convince you because you already know that the nine to five grind of holiday, 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 promotion, promotion, kids, maybe some more kids, pay my mortgage, grandkids, maybe some more, will not grant you purpose in life. It will not give you happiness with God. It will not give you a peaceful deathbed, but Jesus will. Come to him. Okay, all right. I want to do that, you say. I want to leave it behind. What do I do now? I want to leave behind the pointless, endless struggles in my life. What do I do now? Well, what did they do? These people who came to the Passover sacrifice, what did they do? All of them, doesn't matter which seat they were sitting in, they all did the same thing. They walked into Jerusalem... They found a table with a sacrifice laid on it. They sat down at that table and they ate it. Here's another thing to underline, or if you've drifted away, listen to this. The sacrifice was already made for them. And that was all that was necessary. That was the only thing required. A sacrifice made for them and it was already done. They literally showed up, took the sacrifice, and their sins were covered. So let me ask you again. What do you have to do? What do you have to do to be a Jesus follower? Today, you must leave behind the futile fight 
to keep yourself, to keep others, to keep God happy by yourself. You have to give that up and come to the Lord Jesus. God has already made that sacrifice of his son. The table is already laid for you. Jesus is is available for you today. There is nothing left for you to do at all except take it by faith. And thank God for Jesus, the sacrifice for sinners. Finally now, just a few sentences on the priority of preparation. If you were there, if you were then, on that day, finally taking this sacrifice after so long, what would that be like? What would it be like to be like them, to be in that place at that time, and finally have all these yearnings fulfilled? What's the natural response? It says there, they kept the feast with joy. Joy. That is the natural response of what the Lord has done for them. I love that word, those words. The Lord made them joyful. You know, the Bible says that when we come to the Lord Jesus and he washes our sin away, he puts a new song into our hearts. Songs like, oh, happy day. When Jesus washed my sins away. For our fathers here, for these Jews, so many things had worked together now for their good. Look at verse 22 and the things that are just all lined up there. The Persian kings were there, Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai and Zechariah that we read of in verse 14. All of these things have come together for their good. They're back in their walls. They back have their temple. Their homes are rebuilt. They have their freedom again. They are so happy to be back in their land, knowing the blessing of God, anticipating Jesus Christ. All right, priority of preparation. But preparation for what? Well, you see, to the Jews, they were now ready. They're now ready to welcome Jesus into the world, the Son of God, to fulfill all of these sacrifices that they've repeated for so long. Now they're ready. They have a city for him to visit. They have a people there for him to love with all of his heart. They have a temple for him to embody himself. They have poor people there for him to help. They have diseases for him to heal. They have a wall for him to be taken outside. They have a hill for him to be crucified on. They have a veil which separates them from God for him to tear it in two. They have sins in their lives ready for him to cover. They have converts ready for him to save. They have lives for him to patch up. They have a graveyard for him to be raised from. And they have people from all over the world ready to follow him, to forsake everything and follow him. Will you come to him? Will you take him? Will you taste and see that he is good and blessed is he who trusts in him. Will you trust in him? Will you follow him? To close, I'm going to read a few words from Isaiah and then we'll pray together and then we'll sing our last song. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 6 says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. 
Call upon him while he is near. Let the sinner forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and return to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Amen. May God bless that to us.